Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Tuesday, September the 14th, and we gather this next hour around the inspired and true Word of God, and we start a new book by putting on our Christ goggles as we study Leviticus. Yes, I said that correctly, Leviticus. We had a great overview yesterday with Dr. John Kleinig, who wrote the Concordia Commentary on Leviticus, and he started with this question. Why study such a weird book? And it's a good point because many of us never study this. We might look at a few passages here or there, but for us, he said it simply in this way. He said, holiness, the holiness of God given to us in worship. Why they even had priests in the Old Testament is because people weren't holy, and he showed them how to be holy because God gives his holiness upon us, and from there we live holy lives. As the Lord comes to Moses in the tent of meeting today, it's going to be a wild ride, but also every chapter, every verse, we ask this question, where do we see Jesus? And today, boy, do we see him, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thy Strong Word is graciously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. For more information on their great work, visit lhfmissions.org, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word, we have the joy of having back with us regular guest, Pastor John Lekomsky, co-host of Wrestling with the Basics here on KFUO. Pastor Lekomsky, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Yes, yes. And, and, you know, I don't know, though, Brady, if the Lord would appreciate you calling his book weird, but I do know, and I'm sure he knows, too, what you meant by that. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and the thing about it is I'm quoting the good Dr. Kleinig. It wasn't okay. it was him. <laughs> so. Passing the buck. All right. Very good, Brady. Sure. <laughs> so it's not me. I didn't say it was weird. <laughs> so, Pastor, Pastor Lekomsky, we had a great visit recently. Yes. And uh, I went down to Northfield and we had lunch and I met your bride and I met your, your, your stepdaughter and we had a great time walking through town. I thought it was great. How, how would you feel about our gathering a few weeks ago? It, it, it was. It was wonderful, Brady. And, and by the way, to all of our listeners, Brady's a pretty good looking guy. <laughs> Easy now. Easy now. <laughs> well, no, I'm just because you know we we talked over the phone, but we've never ever seen face to face. As we're going to talk about that concept as we look at Leviticus one here too, uh, but yeah, no, no, it was just uh, so good uh, for our faith too, Brady, to encounter somebody else who's who's had the struggles that that we all have as being Christians, and yet have found their assurance in in the Lord Jesus. And what a better opportunity to just sit down and, and visit with people that you know the Lord loves. So mm -hmm. yeah, we had a great time, Brady, and, and we certainly enjoyed uh, the food we had there at Hogan Brothers. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, I tell you what, it's uh, we we didn't have anybody of you, our listeners, join us. However, I think I'm going to keep trying um, different venues. If I'm in St. Louis, I'll invite people. If uh, you know, if in other parts of the, the country, when we are able to be with guests that we have continuously, that the invite is always there. And hopefully it's uh, people like John Lekomsky, who's always willing to pay for your lunch, right? Isn't that what would be <laughs> Yes, until somebody shows up. As long as nobody shows up, I'm more than willing to pay for their lunch. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, yeah. and what a joy it is, like you said. Uh, Pastor Lekomsky's wife, Lynn, was a, was a Lutheran school oh, teacher. Yeah. 
what a blessed what a blessing say to talk to her and then her her daughter your stepdaughter works at Carleton College um, doing a lot of behind the scenes work and she tells me this and this is why I say we have just some of the best theologians that listen to this um, not even our guests are the best theologians it's the theologians that are listening and she says oh I love listening to this and that, because I read these Concordia commentaries chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and I wanted to say, well, it's a good thing she is, because I'm not. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so what a blessing she was as well to meet. So, um, But Pastor, we're here to study Leviticus, so let's get into that. As we put on our Christ goggles, Pastor, can you begin our time in prayer? Oh, Lord, uh, you know, there are some weird things in your, your Bible, <laughs> uh, and weird in the sense that they seem so strange and unusual and don't fit into our pattern of living, uh, and yet we know that this is your word, and therefore everything that is in here has a purpose and a value for us. Uh, and so in this very, very difficult book, we pray that you'll open our hearts and minds to hear your spirit and, and understand what you're trying to teach us here about faith and about love. And I personally say, Lord, thank you for letting me have the first chapter, because this one's pretty easy in terms of seeing what you're trying to tell us. But certainly uh, be with all the other pastors who will follow me in the more difficult texts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Reminder uh, to our listeners, if you have any questions about Leviticus, and this is something that we are going to Take it slow. In the past, um, Leviticus has been studied on KFUO, and they've done a few chapters at a time, which in some ways is very much so needed. But my goal today and throughout Leviticus is, first of all, that we go through this slowly, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because most of us have never studied this. And secondly, is I want to answer all your questions. So if you have any questions, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, and we'll address them. Maybe not in the current um, episode or a study, but maybe in, in the future episodes. And so just keep that in mind as we continue to look. Now, Pastor, I wanted to highlight this, is that when I was on Vicarage, a professor came to one of our gatherings, uh, I think it was a, a pre-Lent gathering, and he spoke about the Old Testament. He was an Old Testament professor. And he spoke about how, you know, we study Isaiah, we study this. And he said how much he loved Leviticus. He loved Leviticus. And he said it is so full of Christ and it's such a blessing to the church. But he said, but if you study it, you probably won't get anyone at Bible study. <laughs> so, but Pastor, why is it important for us to study the book of Leviticus? What are your thoughts? Well, well, I tell you what, Brady, I, I think we'll see that as we study it. Uh, uh, because, well, can I tell you uh, something that an insight my wife came up with, as long as it raised the question, yeah. uh, you, you talked about my beloved wife, Lynn. And so we were, we were doing Mark chapter one, uh, yesterday. It's uh, the, 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 the interesting, the way the Holy spirit works out. And that of course begins with the story of John the Baptist. And it has this verse from Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord make his paths straight. Uh, and, and I was pointing out to her that the word path there uh, means a, a, a well-worn, a beaten path, something that has been trod on before. You know, it's, it's very clear, very plain, solid, kind of like some of the sidewalks we walked on here in, mm -hmm. in Northfield, because Northfield is known for their sidewalks, you know. Uh, um, and she had this thought. She said, I think I know what he's talking about, what these well-worn paths are. He's talking about books like Leviticus. He's talking about the Old Testament. 
Um, the fact of the matter is that the people in the Old Testament, they knew exactly what God had, had commanded them to do in terms of their interaction and their communication with him. It, it wasn't obscure. It wasn't hidden. It was very well laid out. It was this, again, this well-worn, beaten path. But the problem is they'd made that path crooked, see? Because that's the cry, isn't it? Make straight the paths of the Lord. And, and they'd made them crooked by doing what we do. They got off the path. They, they chose their own path. They followed the cow, she said. They went off on the cow path, referring, of course, to the, the worship of the golden calf. They followed the paths that had been laid down by other nations, you know. And so the path now was not so clear. It had become obscured. It had become crooked. And perhaps the greatest thing they did uh, was they, they thought it was about the path. And they forgot the only purpose for a path is where it brings us, right? We don't really care about the path. We care about the destination. And the destination of the path of the Old Testament of books like Leviticus was to be the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, the one we know as Jesus. And, and so it occurred to me, I thought, wow, that's a great insight, Lynn, the, these beaten paths that had become crooked. And so that's what we got to do when we go to Leviticus. Now, now, we will see some things in Leviticus that, that are things about morality and about the law that God has written in the hearts of men, the Ten Commandment kind of things. And so we'll be looking for that, and we'll be affirming that. But, but we got to remember that the path itself here is not our path. This is the path given to the Israelite people. But see, the thing is, their path is leading to the same destination our path is leading to, which is Jesus Christ. And so that's what we want to look at in these texts. Where was this path, this well-beaten, uh, this, this well-worn path, where was it leading them to their Messiah? Because that's, that's where it's going to lead us to. Does that make any sense? It, it absolutely makes sense because the reason why you even had Leviticus is because there's a crooked path. You know, this is why yeah. you have priests, you need to be made holy. And why you even have um, Leviticus is because we know where that path is made straight, which is in Christ and him crucified. So I I, I love, yeah, well, once again, props to Lynn. Um, yep. I you to give her, I'll, I'll praise be to the Lord, as she would say as well. Um, and, so, and, and let me say all praise to you, because this is the perfect text to follow what you did in the book of Hebrews. Yes. Because yes. when, when you, you and we'll use I'm going to quote Hebrews several times today because you realize this is what the author of Hebrews was trying to do is trying to say, look, you have the well-worn path. You know, we know that you had that. But now you have to understand what that path was supposed to do, where it was supposed to lead you. You know, because you thought it was okay just to be on the path. No, no, the path needs to bring you someplace. Or as Paul talks about the, this being the shadows and the reality is Christ. Well, you never stay with the shadows. The shadows are just pointing out where the reality is. is so. All right. Well, I'm excited here, uh, Pastor Lekomsky. Can we can we just start? reading the first two verses, because I fear we might not get through the first two verses. Yeah, and, and Brady, don't don't get real anxious, because really, all the all the meat is in the beginning of this text, and then it's simply repeated for the next two sets of sacrifices. So. That's true. Now, I'll say this, that for everybody who's, for our, you, our listeners, that one of the best visuals for you to find is a view of the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. Um, and on, in our Lutheran study Bibles on page 139, we get a visual of what they're talking about. Also in the Concordia commentary, it's, it's in there as well. It gives you just a visual when it talks about burnt offerings. And I'm excited to get into this also because how often 
I've been confused at all the offerings that are mentioned in the scriptures, especially in Leviticus. And this is going to be an opportunity to clarify once again exactly what they're talking about from the Old Testament. So I want to get to the first two verses. Are you ready, John? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Verses one and two, as Moses writes this book and the Lord uh, leads us by his Holy Spirit. Verses one and two, the Lord Yahweh called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when any of you bring an offering to the Lord Yahweh, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. Now, like you said, the meat and potatoes is right in these verses. How would you, in what way is the meat and potatoes right here, Pastor? Well, okay, let, let's just take it step by step. Let's just take it in the order that God gives it to us. So, so the first thing we note is that we've got the Lord both calling and speaking to Moses. And, and it occurred to me, well, you don't have to have two of those. Lord, The Lord spoke to Moses. So why do we have the Lord called and spoke? Because the, the word call means that, that, that God is, is, is bringing Moses into an assignment. In fact, we have the same word uh, in English with the word vocation. Uh, it's your calling, right? So, so that's what you have to understand. That this is this is more than just Moses getting some words. This is Moses being given an assignment by God, and and the assignment he's given is to try to lead the people of Israel and and how they're going to approach the Lord because of their sinfulness, and and that, as you pointed out already, is is the s- subject of Leviticus. How do how do sinful uh, people come into the presence of a holy God? All right. Uh, and, and we need to know that the same thing is with us uh, right now. In fact, God is doing this for us. He's speaking to us. That's exactly what he's doing. I hope everyone who's listening realizes this is not just some Bible study you've stumbled on that you can just kind of listen to with, with you know half a mind. You need to pay attention to this because this is the Lord speaking to you. But when the Lord speaks, the Lord calls. See, he's going to change us in the hour that you and I are together. He's going to change us in regards to our thoughts and feelings about him, our faith and our trust in him. He's going to change us about our thoughts and feelings about the people around us, how, how we want to love and we want to care for them. So so that that's number one. We've got not just a speaking, but we've got a calling, which is a really, really powerful word. Uh, when God calls something, that's really, really significant. And we also have the other thing that we need to realize is, is we are not looking for some direct revelation from the Lord. Uh, there are people who do. There are people that think that's how it works, that you just sit there and then all of a sudden God will just strike you with a spirit. Uh, uh, you know, Luther talks about them following the spirit, swallowing rather than the spirit feathers at all. But but this is also the pattern of how God works. God brings his word to someone, and then you'll notice, speak to the people of Israel, God commands. So he never gives his word to someone just so that they would keep it to themselves, but that they would do like what you do every every day as a pastor. I used to do that, but I'm retired, and I only get to do it on occasion. But you want to speak that to the people around you. Uh, now, I've just been rambling, so, so let me take a breath. Because <laughs> we still have to talk about the tent of the meeting. We have to talk about offerings and all of that stuff yet. But, but Brady, so, yeah. So I'll give you a little breather here. Is uh, That is very important for us to have this understanding of calling. And I, you know, the vocation talk that we talk about all the time on this program and all of KFUO, that you, as God's people, have a calling. 
And this is not, it's not the same calling as others. We're not all calling you all to be pastors. And Lord have mercy, you don't want to be. <laughs> uh, you have other callings. And for Moses at that time and that place was called to speak to the people, as we see throughout his books, the first five books of the Bible. And then he spoke to him, which is a, a, key, a key reality that our Lord is the one who speaks to his people. Um, he not only listens, this is an aspect that has been very powerful for me to think of prayer, that he's a God who listens, but also that God speaks. And you said this so well too, Pastor, is that he speaks to us clearly where he needs to speak clearly. And then there's times where he doesn't speak as clearly, which we wish he would, but he knows that we don't need that. Um, just as far as salvation's sake, morality's sake, uh, you know, different ways that he speaks very clearly. And then there's other times he just doesn't. And so here we should really perk our ears up because he is speaking clearly to Moses on what he needs to do. And then he, he speaks to him in a tent of meeting. And this can be a terminology issue, tent of meeting. What's that? What's the tabernacle? What's the temple? All of this. So, so pastor, I want to ask this question and, and see if you have another direction you want to go, but what was a tent of meeting? Well, yeah, and, and that is exactly where I wanted to go next, uh, because I, I actually wrestled with, because ironically, the last time we did Wrestling with the Basics, we did Exodus chapter 33, which also refers to the tent of meeting. But the tent of meeting there was not the same as the tent of meeting we had here. And so I had to read through that and check that out and figure out what was going on. And apparently what we have is this kind of progression where, where there was a tent of meeting, but it didn't have all the stuff that this tent of meeting has. Uh, this is, like you said, that we, we call this formally the tabernacle, and it was actually described uh, at the end of the book before this, at the end of Exodus. They got it all set up, and the ark is there, and the Holy of Holies is there. But but but, but before that, we all already had a tent of meeting, uh, and the significance is it's a place where God comes to communicate. All right, that's the idea of the tent of meeting. And and I'd never realized this before, but as you go through the Old Testament, that tent gets more and more sophisticated. Like I said, it just basically started out as just a tent where Moses would go and he would speak to Moses face to face. I thought that was cool. That's how the tent of meeting was described in Exodus 33. It was a place where God spoke to Moses face to face like a man speaks with his friend. See, that's where God comes and communicates. And then it gets more sophisticated here with that the tabernacle. And of course, you'll deal with the details of that later on in the book of Leviticus. And indeed, those details are even expanded on further in the book of Numbers. And so finally, then the tent of meeting becomes the tabernacle that becomes the temple. And that becomes even more sophisticated and more detailed and more glorious. But see, the thing you have to remember, where do we communicate with God? Where does this find its ultimate fulfillment? And of course, it finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. In fact, it's interesting that John, in the beginning of his gospel, talks about the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And guess what the word dwelt is in the Greek, uh, Brady? It's the word for tented. He tented among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So you got to remember when you're talking about the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, the temple, this is fulfilled with the arrival of Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate place where God comes to talk. 
to his people. And this reminds me too, as you spoke about face to face, as you go to Genesis 32, where Jacob wrestles with the Lord and, and he names that place Penuel, which means, yes. you know, face to face with the Lord. And, and, and this is a beautiful connection that I think we can make. And I want to hear your thoughts is you read that story in Genesis 32 and you start to wonder, Hmm, where, where's my Penuel? You know, where's yes. my place that the Lord comes to me and puts my hip out of socket? Hopefully he doesn't do that to me. But um, then then you're going to go around searching for God to speak to you. Go to a river. You you leave your children on the other side of the river or you're going through a struggle or you're stealing birthrights. Who knows what people would do? I <laughs> find God. And here you have that same idea of, you know what, that that's not for you. That was for Jacob. Here is where I will speak to you face-to-face in that tabernacle, that temple, um, tent of meeting place. And for us, like you said, that gives us even more of a a precursor, our foreshadowing, as you said, to Christ who will tabernacle among us. And so we know where our God time is, and it's in Christ. Not to wrestle with God on the side of a river, but to look to Jesus. As we said in Hebrews, um, you said there's so many connections here. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, you know, it really connects it all together beautifully. Um, I want to hear your thoughts on on those connections. Well, so so here's the thing: it should make you and me very very nervous, and I sh- hopefully it will make all of our listeners at this point uh, kind of open their eyes and open their mind because this is it. This is what's going on right now. Uh, God is speaking face to face. He's coming directly talking to the people who are listening to this program. And, and, and I hope uh, we bring to the people that are listening and then that Jesus that you talked about, that they, they understand that he loves them. As you said, he's listening to them as well. And he's telling them that you can trust me. I, I know you've got a lot of struggles and trials, and I know you've got reasons to doubt because you're a sinner and you're probably wondering how, how I feel about you. But, but in this text, he's going to outline for us how he's, he's made it okay that sinners can actually come and we can talk to him like he's our friend because he is our friend. Mm. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So, okay. So we have that the Lord called Moses. Um, he's in the tent of meeting. So the place that God would speak and ironically he does. And he says, speak to the people of Israel and say to them. Um, and he tells them about an offering. The verse two, I think, is something that's going to lead us to many, many more chapters here about offerings and so forth. But I, I found it interesting. He says, speak to my people, Israel. This goes back to Jacob and he renamed them Israel, so forth. And now he tells them about offerings. What are your thoughts on verse two? Okay, well, so here's the problem. And, and I alluded to it in my last comment. We, we are sinful people. Uh, why, why would we think that we could even come into the presence of God, Right. Uh, and I mean, that's the scary thing when we're doing the Old Testament thing, because in the Old Testament thing, you really couldn't. Uh, Moses could come and talk to God, but you and I didn't come into the uh, tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and talk to God. And in fact, the place where God was present was isolated from everyone, even the priest, except for one day a year, right? The high priest, he could go in on the Day of Atonement to the Holy of Holies. But the whole temple was a situation where you had to keep your distance from God, you know, 
which I'm telling you, this is why we don't want to go back to the well-beaten paths. <laughs> let's yeah. let's stay with what God has given us. Because see, that's what the Bible uh, informs us. We can go with confidence into the into the throne room and into the room of grace before Jesus Christ. But but see, there's a reason why that is, and that's what this text is teaching us. No, 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 no. It's sinners don't dare go before God without a gift without an offering. That's what the word offering is in the Hebrew. It's Corban. It means that which is given. Uh, the, the, the New Testament uses that too, what that quote from, from Mark where he says, uh, Corban. Uh, yeah, here it is, Mark 7. Uh, Whatever you have gained from me is Corban. That is what is given to God. Um, but now that's what we got to unpack. So what's the offering? We, we're going to find out what the offering is here but what's the offering for us that gives us the ability to walk boldly with confidence into the very presence face to face with the Lord Almighty himself? So, so I'm going to take one step back. If you could, uh, okay, so we have the tabernacle. That's just, uh, do you have a visual in front of you? I, I love how you teach these kind of things. So I just wanted to, to kind of break this down is you have sure. the tabernacle, you got the tent, people enter kind of that outer court and they see a few things and then there's a tent and inside there. Can you give us a visual of what that looks like or what it is, even without showing us a picture, maybe paint us a picture? Well, yeah, I'll try to do my best. It's like you said, let's start from the interior, from the the, the uh, August of Agios, the Holy of Holies, uh, the place where God actually dwelt, where you had the Ark of the Covenant. And of course, you have the, the angels uh, overlooking that, the cherubim, you know, kind of overarching uh, uh, that Ark of the Covenant. And you've got this big, thick curtain that so you couldn't even see what was in there, except you could see the rods that they used to carry, because you couldn't touch the Ark either. That's how holy it was. You couldn't even touch it. You had to carry it with 10-foot poles, as it were. And uh, so then, then you had the outer outside of that. And this is the place where if you were a priest, yeah, you could come in here and you had sacrifices and incense and other activities to both. But the common people, they couldn't come in there either. No, no, because the Pompic people would be out at yet on another level, another area that was also divided off and had, in this case, a, a, you know, a tent in the temple that actually would have been a wall and doors to keep you out. And then, of course, when we get to the final temple, there's even more division because there's a place where there Gentiles will come, but, but the Gentiles aren't even coming into that outer court. No, they don't deserve to be there either. So it is this kind of layer upon layer upon layer uh, I guess kind of like the, the Russian stacking uh, dolls. You know what I'm talking about with these dolls? But 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 the, the presence of God is only in the very interior. And most of us will never get anywhere near that. Uh, if, like I said, if you were a high priest, uh, at least once a year, you could go into that very place where God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. But for the most part, even the priests had to be outside of that. And for you and me, uh, as mere lay people, uh, we wouldn't even get close to that. Like I told and, her, and I'm sorry. And if you're a Gentile, you'd even be further out. So. Right. Right. And that's the power of that we what we see on Good Friday and so forth. But right now, Pastor, I want to, as you've had that picture, reminder to our listeners, look up online the tabernacle, the tent meeting, and be able to get a visual. I'm a very visual person, so I really appreciate how Pastor laid that out for us but the visual helps even more page 139 a lutheran study bible or go online look it up that way but right now i want to in the other side of our break i want us to look at the burnt offering we hear about it we probably heard the word before what is it and what does it mean for us so 
Uh, but right now we take our break. We are studying Leviticus chapter one with Pastor John Lekomsky, and we'll be right back. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org And welcome back. We are studying Leviticus chapter 1 with Pastor John Lekomsky. And Pastor, we are about to encounter <laughs> a lot of details that are, can be quite interesting. And so we we get to the, um, the herd, the flock, the birds, and so forth. So I wanted to, uh, before we dug into those verses, we hear the word burnt offering. Do you have any introductory thoughts on what the burnt offering was, how often it happened, what was the point, et cetera, et cetera? Well, Brady, I tell you what, could you read verse three? Oh, verse three, let's do it. Let's oh, do it, verse three. Yeah. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord Yahweh. Okay, so so in the English, if his offering is a burnt offering, and it almost sounds like it's the same word, uh, except with some kind of clarification, burnt, whatever it is. Uh, but actually, that's not how it is in the Hebrew. In the original language, it's two totally different terms. Uh, the word offering, we already had that. That's Corbin, which just simply means a gift. So we're coming in with a gift uh, to bring before the Lord. Uh, but the word burnt offering, um, well, in, in the Septuagint, uh, from where we get the translation burnt offering, it's actually uh, the, the, the Greek words for whole, and, and what's, it's the word holocaust. I did not know that. Uh, but, but it means something that's completely wholly burnt up. Because uh, that's the significance of these sacrifices we talk about in this chapter. There are other sacrifices where the priests get to take some of the meat and some of the fat and stuff like that, and they get to keep it for themselves. Uh, I guess it was kind of like a barbecue, <laughs> but not here. Not, no, no, actually, this is like my barbecue because it's totally burnt up. <laughs> you're, you're lucky we went out to eat, Brady, because if yeah. I'd had you over for a barbecue, we probably still would have had to go out to eat because it would you know, it would all been burnt up. There would have been nothing left for us to eat. Um, <laughs> so, so that's the significance of, of these offerings, is these are totally given to God. They're totally consumed. The only thing that gets kept is the, is the skin. Everything else is, is burnt. But what's really cool, uh, so it's so in the Septuagint, the Greek version, uh, it's it's a holocaust, something that's wholly burnt up, consumed. But the word in the Hebrew actually is the word um, hola, hola. It almost sounds like we're Spanish now, the, the hola. Uh, uh, but that word means something that goes up. That's the word in the Hebrew. It means something that goes up. And, and the, the scholars think the reason that it's, it's used here is because the smoke, the smoke would go up, okay? 
because uh, we actually, why, why would they use the word for go up for a, we know it's a bird offering, Brady, because we're going to learn that. That's what they do. They take it and they burn the whole thing up. Uh, you know, the Greek is a lot straightforward, the whole thing burnt. Uh, but why would the Hebrew word be that which goes up? And so the thought is, well, okay, you burn something, the smoke, it, it goes up into heavens. Uh, but see, I'm thinking there is Jesus again, because Jesus was the offering, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. And what did Jesus do? Well, he went up didn't he? He went up into the heavens. Uh, as Hebrews 9 tells us, for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And this really gets me to start getting kind of shaking, because what was the purpose of this olah, this burnt offering that would go up so that God would smell it and God would be pleased at the aroma and I'm thinking, why did Jesus ascend up into heaven? So that God would be pleased with him. And as we'll see in just a few moments, that through Jesus, then he would also be pleased with us. So uh, so there's the stuff that I know about burnt offering anyway. And it's it's profound. And that, that's a great, <laughs> the the idea of a holy offering. And and here, it like you said, how can you not see Jesus when it says a male without blemish. Oh yeah. Points us to, 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 um, Passover and, 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 and those, that kind of reality, it points us back, um, to the lamb and the blood that, that had death passed them over to the point, obviously Jesus, the male without blemish. Any thoughts there? Oh yeah. And here's the other thing that I never thought about male, uh, because obviously, yeah, you have this constantly that, that the sacrifice has to be a male sacrifice. Jesus, of course, uh, was, was a male. Uh, uh, so many commentators talk about the male would be the head of the flock, right, or the head of the herd. And the male would be probably stronger and, and, and more valuable. But, but here's the little nuance I caught from one commentary that I'd never thought of before. Uh, the male is also expendable. <laughs> but, but, I read it too. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. I laughed. I was studying this. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, see, I should have known that because I was raised on a farm and we had lots and lots of cows, but we only had to have one bull. <laughs> right? You don't need a lot of bulls. So if you're going to sacrifice, sure, sacrifice one of the bulls. <laughs> as long as you got one bull, you're set. But, but then I thought about this powerful passage from John 11, where the high priest says, nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. And so, yeah, maybe that's also the image of, of the male, the fact that this was an expendable, or at least that's what they would have thought. They would have thought it was an expendable uh, offering. Uh, but of course, we know, know that that one offering of Jesus is it is exactly the other images that being the prominent, the powerful, the dominant thing, because it's going to uh, he's the son of God. He's going to take care of all the sins of all men of all time. Yeah. One aspect that was interesting to me as well is it speaks about that the person probably the head of the household. But Dr. Kleinig speaks about how it could be male or female could bring this offering to the tent of meeting and to bring it in. And, and it was the person who is the one that brings it in. All right. And, and the, the lay person, if I could put it in those terms, has a significant role in this. I mean, it isn't like they take the offering, they throw it at the priest, walk out the door and say, it's over. But they have a major part to play in this, which is just a reminder. It was not like just all up to the priests or the priests were better, but there was that reality of a participation 
of the people with this offering to show that, um, I guess I don't really know exactly what it shows, but I found it interesting that it was not just the priests do everything, but there was a, a participation with the people who were bringing the sacrifice as well. Any thoughts there? Well, and, and see, actually, as we move on, we're going to see that there's a really tremendous participation in this particular offering, because there were other offerings where you did just bring it to the priest and the priest did the whole thing. Right. But in this particular offering, you not only bring it, you kill it. You're the one that's going to sacrifice it. Okay. Um, and, and I think that's completely significant. Uh, importantly significant is what I should say is because this is where it went crooked because, because the people begin to think, well, it's just something you do. You just take it up there. The priest takes care of poof, we're done. Everything's settled between us and God. Uh, and, and the whole point of this is no, there has to be faith. You are the one that needs to be bringing the offering because you believe the you need an offering, because you believe something has to be given uh, to the Lord. And we're going to see that so intimately in the next verse about your involvement in it. Uh, and I think you're right. That's the whole thing, too. It's not good enough, good enough for us to come to church and say, all right, I sat in church and the pastor said his thing, I'm done. No, no, when you come to church, uh, and we Lutherans do this so beautifully, you have to come and say, I am a poor, miserable sinner. That's why I showed up this morning. Not here to impress anybody. Uh, except to assure everyone that I'm still the same sinner I was a week ago. And I see that in this whole business about the participation of the person, that this is not some ritual that the priest does his thing and we walk out. No, like going to church, we come in and, and we offer our sacrifice because we know what we are. We have to have a sacrifice because we are sinners. That's what we are. So let's keep moving forward as we hear about the sacrifice, the burnt offering from the herd versus four. Oh, and we'll go oh, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. <laughs> you knew you weren't going to get away with it, were you? <laughs> That's That's well, well, no, because we got to look at this last phrase. Why are we bringing the offering that he may be accepted before the Lord? And, and accepted, of course, that's pretty clear. That that's uh, we know what that means, right? We're okay. We're all clear. But but the the, the word before there is the word you were talking about before earlier. The penuel. That mm -hmm. that's the word face there. The before the face of the Lord. And that's the great thing. See, we, we don't want to be off at a distance from our Lord. We want to be close to him. We want to be like Moses. We want to talk to him like a friend face to face. And it's interesting, that word penna, that's the word that's used there. So we want to be accepted in that way, that we could be that close to the Lord face to face. And you think about it, Brady, when you go to church, guess what the Lord says? He says, what? I don't want you sitting off there in the pew at a distance from me. I want you to come up here into the Holy of Holies. I want you to come up to my very table where I eat, and I want you to eat with me. Right? Isn't that what he says? And, and I don't think people appreciate that is incredible. Mm -hmm. The people in the Old Testament would have never have dreamt, although they did it, didn't they? Don't we have the elders up there on the mountain with God, eating with God? You know, pointing ahead to what we all get to do now uh, for those of us who have faith uh, in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is significant as well that in the Old Testament, you had that moment where they're on Mount Sinai. And when they're on Mount Sinai, they uh, uh, that the cloud goes from Mount Sinai at the top where only Moses can go and maybe a few others. And that cloud then goes to the tent of meeting. Oh, yeah. So you have that significance of, and this goes back, I think it goes back to Peniel, 
is that we're like, oh my gosh, I need to have my Mount Sinai moment. And then God's like, you know, what? I'm going to get that out of here because Lord have mercy. They're just going to hang out Mount Sinai instead of me. <laughs> and so he comes and then he, he goes to the tent of meeting. I mean, he is so involved in people's lives that he wants to make sure that they don't go to that place to find faith. They come to him to find faith, you know, that, that he comes to them and gives them faith. And there's, I think there's so many connections there for us too, that when we think it's a place, as far as like when I, uh, I'm around a campfire or I go to the top of a mountain, I mean, you see these tendencies for our own lives that we make that place the idol um, as opposed to the Lord himself. Like for example, Bethel, there's Jacob. He, he has that moment, sees a, not, not stairway to heaven, but the ladder to heaven. <laughs> and then later on, what does Bethel become? The place where they put false idols. You know, it was never about the place. It was always about the Lord, as we saw in first and second Kings. So it, it really is. I think that's a very thick moment a not thick moment, wrong wording. I'm not sure how to say a big moment in the text today. So now I want to move on, but I have to check with you again. No, first, 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 go ahead, because because verse four is, is is where this whole. Okay, so here's the point. Up to this, we don't have anything really new here. No, mm-hmm. uh, you you could have been a follower of Baal and and done everything we have here. I'm sure Baal didn't want some cheesy, you know, broken sacrifice. He wanted a decent sacrifice. I'm Baal. What do you give? You know, uh, and of course he was taking burnt offerings and all that stuff. But it's this next verse where it takes on a characteristic that would never have been found in any pagan sacrifice at all. So okay. I'm going to go through verse nine. So hold That's on. Fine. Yeah, yeah. Go through nine. He, the the person bringing the offering, shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord Yahweh. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is in the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire and Aaron's sons the priest shall arrange the pieces the head and the fat on the wood that is on the fire on the altar but its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water and the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord okay so uh, go with verse four what do you have there well, so so here's the thing. We, we have a totally new term that you would not have found in any pagan worship, and we have a, a, a symbolic act that you would not have found in any pagan worship, and that symbolic act is putting your hand on the head of the burnt offering. And this language about it, it shall be accepted for him, because that's the symbolism. Uh, what's going to happen to this, this uh, bull in this case is what should happen to me. Because, you know, the Lord's wrath is a consuming wrath. That's what the Bible says. It just burns up everything that is evil and wicked, which now we're back to the whole significance of the Olah, of the the, uh, Holocaust, of the thing that this is all consumed, all burnt up. Because that's what God's wrath does, which was, so I know what I should get, but I'm going to lay my hands on the head, and this is going to be accepted for me. And again, we got that word accepted, which is this beautiful word that means it's it's favored. It has delight. We, we know what it means to be accepted. Um, 
Um, and, and atonement, though, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we get this word atonement. And before I talk about atonement, I, 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 here's the point I need to make, Brady. This isn't why you made a sacrifice to Baal. There was no substitution going on here. But the idea was that, well, Baal probably needed a cow or a sheep or something. I don't know. He need, that's what gods need. They always want something from us, aren't they? They're constantly asking us for something. You think if they're God, they'd have everything they need, but no, that's how it is. And so I'm giving this offering to Bill because now Bill will be nice to me because I gave him something because that's how it works. Isn't it Brady? You give somebody something, they owe you. That That's how it works. Okay. Tip for tat. Yeah. So, so you got to understand that this makes us totally different. This is not a pagan sacrifice. We're not trying to impress God. We're not trying to get him to owe us something. No, no, no. We've got a substitution going on here. Uh, taking what should be done to us, this total consuming wrath of God, and putting it on this, this uh, uh, bull. Um, and that will be an atonement. And, and atonement, that's a tough word, Brady. Some people think the sense of the word atonement there is that our sin will be covered up. Um, and that could be, it could be. It's interesting in Genesis 6, when, when Noah is putting the pitch on the ark, right, making it watertight on the inside and the outside, it says in Genesis 6, 14, it actually uses the word atonement there. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. He's he's applying the pitch. It's he's atoning. He's atoning the pitch. Uh we've got atonement uh for the, the uh covering of the ark, right? The mercy seat. That's actually literally the atonement seat. And so a lot of people think, well, that's that's the sense uh that our sins are covered over. Uh and indeed it says that, right? Blessed are the lawless whose deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. But but here in, in uh Leviticus. And, and I understand from the commentary I read, it's used 49 times. The word is used 49 times in this book. I think the sense here is that idea of substitution, that I'm going to put something in my place. Uh, ransom, I think, probably would be a good translation. Redemption could be another word we would use. Uh, the idea that um, I, I'm giving something in place of my, my sinfulness. Um, and, and of course... Your book of Hebrews, you're the one that put us on this, Brady. Mm -hmm. Don't blame me. And the book of Hebrews, we are told it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It, right? This, 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 conscience that you'll never have a clear conscience with the bulls and, and everything. Yeah. And it that hits us right over the head. And that's why going back, I think, is so powerful. Because if you just read Leviticus, you think, oh, my gosh, this is what I need to do. Yeah. As opposed to realizing that this was always pointing us to the final sacrifice. Which, as the author of Hebrews continues, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. See? But see, Brady, can you see how they made it crooked? Because the Jews did just exactly what you said. They believed, oh, okay, this is what we got to do to be holy. We got to do these sacrifices. and But that made it crooked. Because God never intended them. In fact, he said it in the Old Testament. You don't have to go to the New Testament for him to say it. He says it over and over again. I wasn't really looking for you to do these sacrifices. <laughs> okay? That wasn't the point. The point was I was pointing you to the fact a sacrifice needs to be made. And ultimately, I, your Lord, will make that sacrifice for you. 
So the point is, in this chapter of Leviticus, there does need to be a, a corbin, an offering, a gift. But do you really think there's anything you could give that would be enough to cover over your sins or, or ransom you from your sins? Uh, and no, no, that offering has to be made by God himself, and he does so in, in uh, his son Jesus. Um, and it's a very particular order, and I want to keep moving forward, yeah. particular order of how he does this. So they, they bring it, and then the sons of the priest, Aaron, take the blood. They probably slit the throat. Some of this can be a little dramatic. Get the blood. No, no, they, wait. Hold on. Hold on. Remember, no, we're sli- we're slitting the throat. We're, right. we're yeah, killing right. it. Yeah, and then they're going to take the blood from there. Then okay, Aaron, Aaron's yeah. sons take the blood, put it over the altar. Then he will flay the burnt offering, cut it into pieces. So this is the person bringing the offering. And then the sons shall put the fire on the altar and arrange the wood. And then they take it and they, 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 they burn it up, if you will. The entrails and legs are first washed in water. And then they burn it all up. Um, but a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now, this is not a clean um, reality. This would be quite messy, to be honest. And it, it kind of puts a lot of... In our minds today, germs and disease and question marks. But yet, as we know in, in the scriptures, you know, it is by blood that we will be made clean. Obviously, Jesus is perfect blood. How would you bring that all together? Any thoughts on the procedure they follow? Okay, well, well, first of all, I have to throw out a, a little neat detail that I didn't had never noticed before because the English obscures it. In verse 5, it says, Then he shall kill, referring to the, the man making the offering, then he shall kill the bull, it's not the word bull in the Hebrew. It, it's the word for son. Literally in the Hebrew, it says, then he shall kill the son before the Lord. Now, now I, I'm not arguing with the translation because we all know it's referring to the male animal that's being sacrificed. So yeah, we know it's a bull. But isn't it crazy that, that in the Hebrew that uses the word ben, which is the word for son? And I'm thinking, if I'm reading that as a Christian, I'm thinking, Oh, oh, he was telling us all along that it wasn't some bull we were offering, that there needed to be a greater offering. The offering of a son, which, by the way, was forbidden. That was abomination. They couldn't do that, although sometimes in their sinfulness they, they did. Well, anyway, I just thought that was neat, that the, mm-hmm. the word Hebrew there is actually he shall kill the son before the Lord. Um, but, yeah, the process, uh, you said it wasn't clean, but, of course, that's the point. They're making every effort to make it clean. Mm-hmm. Um, so the legs and the entrails, which is where all the fecal matter would be <laughs> again, yeah. having grown, having grown up on a farm, let me tell you, Brady, you do not want to be uh, by the behind of a cow <laughs> 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 and they got no toilet paper. <laughs> Cows do not use toilet paper. Trust me. I've seen many of a cow bottom. <laughs> so, so yeah, we know that's dirty. That's gotta be cleansed. So we wash it. And yet, like you said, you and I would say, well, this isn't clean. We've got blood everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but as you alluded, that's that's the, the remarkable teaching of the New Testament, isn't it? That the blood makes you clean. Uh, in fact, Jesus says that in Matthew 26, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the for, for forgiveness of sins. Uh, and of course, the killing, right? The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and be killed. And of course, on the third day, uh, be raised. So, and I guess you could throw in the flame and you think about him being scourged, Jesus being scourged. Right. So I, I look at this and, and, and I think in the details, you know, this is, this is the fact that we have to have a, has to be a pure 
blameless sacrifice. And that's why we're doing the washing. We're trying to get rid of everything. Uh, but it is going to be a horrible, terrible thing. It's not, it's not, a, it's not something you bring your kids to see. <laughs> okay. And that's, and that's a, a precursor moment too, for everyone who's listening right now is that throughout Leviticus, you're going to have a lot of these kind of situations where it's like, oh, this is not exactly what I want to be hearing necessarily. So I encourage our listeners to use your discretion as we go through Leviticus, as we hear some of these things. But I really enjoy verse nine. And this was well placed in some of the commentaries I read when it speaks about how this is a food offering that was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And that's the purpose of the burnt offerings is to bring that pleasing aroma to the Lord, to be accepted by the Lord. And I can't help but think in verse 9 about when Jesus is baptized, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. So where is this perfect uh, sacrifice for us? Obviously in Christ, because the Lord is pleased with him. He dies for us. He is also pleased with us on account of Christ. Pastor, we only have a few more minutes here, okay. but I do want to make sure we get these first nine verses well. So any last thoughts? Well, again, as you pointed out, this is a horrible, horrible picture. But that's the point. Jesus' death on the cross is not a pleasant thing, people. I mean, it's okay if you want to wear a cross around your neck. That, that's a good thing to remind us. But we need to understand this is a horrible, terrible suffering he went through. The, the consumption again, the, this sacrifice being the burnt, the whole thing being burnt up. Because that's what happened. That was the wrath of God. But the great thing is, like you said, this conclusion. Now it's a pleasing aroma to God. Now God looks you and me, and he's not going to consume us in his wrath and his anger. And how can you be sure of that? Because this, this Jesus upon which we laid our hands and we, it was a substitute for us, he's taken all of that. And, and, and as you said, now, now we go on about the business of the, the sheep, uh, and we're going to do the business of the birds. Uh, and, I, and I do want to mention the birds. Oh, here's what I need to mention. We only got a couple minutes. All, all three of these animals— the, the, from the, the, the bull to the, the sheep to the birds. There's a reason why you've got these three animals, because those were the three animals that Abraham offered and wow. sacrificed to God when God made that beautiful promise to him that his descendants would be like the, the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea. Um, so when they did this, they were, they were doing this again, not as some ritual, but they were thinking about the story they already knew about the promises God made to them. Uh, he made to Abraham, because all of this would be a reminder to them of that. Yeah. So let's do this. I'm going to read the rest, and I want to get your final thoughts on our text today. Sure. This is 10 all the way to the end. If his gift for a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or goats, he shall bring a male without blemish, and he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord Yahweh. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar, and he shall cut it into pieces with its head on and its fat, and the priest shall arrange them on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But the entrails and the legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall offer all of it and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord Yahweh. If his offering to the Lord Yahweh is a burnt offering of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or pigeons. And the priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. He shall remove its crop and its contents and cast it beside the altar on the east side in the place for ashes. 
He shall tear it open with his wings, but he shall not sever it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord Yahweh. Now, real quickly, I'm just going to mention that it did mention how all three of these were partly determinative on the financial stance of the person. So they could probably do from the herd or do from the flock if they had a little more possessions, but they didn't have much. They could do the turtle doves and pigeons for a very cheap price, if you will. And so it definitely brings this understanding of the wholeness of all people can come before the Lord with an offering and obviously points us to the wholeness of Christ's offering. But Pastor, we have about a minute left. How would you uh, summarize this first chapter as we start off Leviticus? Well, well, I I think the summary, it was there in that last verse. It is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And and as you pointed out, the, the purpose for the bird is that, well, if you don't have enough money to have a herd or a flock, you can still come and make a sacrifice to God. And isn't it, isn't it cool that that is also pleasing to the Lord? And, and I think about the widow's mite in the New Testament, see? Because, again, when we get crooked, we begin to think that the size of the offering, that's what's important, right? I've given more to the Lord than others. So, but, see, now you're back into that whole pagan view of offering. Uh, and you're not here in the view of faith which is that I need a substitute. And, and, and this is what God has given me. This is what I give to the Lord. Uh, and, and that's going to be an aroma pleasing to the Lord because that's what we're looking for, for the substitutional sacrifice that will make me then pleasing to the Lord, acceptable to the Lord. Uh, and it is through the offering of Jesus, of course, that we are. We are acceptable to God because through his blood we are forgiven. Um, so it's a great text, Brady. It's a great text because we're living it out uh, every day of our life. I hope hope everyone will leave this study and go out and love and care for the neighbor, knowing that they have the love and care of God, and that's assured to us by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Pastor John Lekomsky, co-host of Wrestling with the Basics, giving us God's strong word today from Leviticus chapter 1. Pastor Lekomsky, thank you for the gifts. Thank you, Brady. It's always fun. Saints of our Lord, it says it best in the hymn, Not all the blood of beasts, not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. But Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands. Mm-hmm.